You are listening to TGTM News number 98, recorded for Monday, May the 20th, 2013. You are listening to the tech-only Hacker Public Radio edition. To get the full podcast, including political commentary and other controversial topics, please visit www.talkgeektome.us. Here are the vital statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in Deep Geek Talk Geek to Me. Hello again, this is Bobobex, and now the tech roundup. Our first story comes from torrentfreak.com by Ernesto, dated May the 15th, 2013. Six strikes, anti-piracy outfit loses company status, faces penalties. The Centre for Copyright Information, a partnership between the RIAA, MPAA and several major internet providers, has had its company status revoked. The CCI, who are leading the Six Strikes anti-piracy scheme in the US, has violated state laws and is unable to conduct any official business anywhere in the United States. In addition, the outfit faces civil penalties and risks losing its name to a third-party company. During the summer of 2011, the MPAA and RIAA teamed up with five major internet providers in the United States, announcing their Six Strikes anti-piracy plan. Parties founded the Centre for Copyright Information, CCI for short, and a few months later they started a non-profit company with the same name in Washington, D.C., After more than a year of delays, the CCI finally launched its copyright alert system during February. But just when it appeared that the group was on the right track, it met another roadblock. According to the Columbia Department of Consumer and Regulatory Affairs, DCRA, the company leading the Six Strikes programme has had its status revoked. This pretty much means that the company is unable to conduct any official business anywhere in the United States. The revocation means that the CCI's articles of organisation are void, most likely because the company forgot to file the proper paperwork or pay its fees. If entity status is revoked, then articles of incorporation stroke organisation shall be void and all powers conferred upon such entity are declared inoperative and, in the case of a foreign entity, the certificate of foreign registration shall be revoked and all powers conferred hereunder shall be inoperative the DCRA explains. Unfortunately for the CCI, the DCRA doesn't have a strike-based system and the company is now facing civil penalties and fines. It appears that company status was revoked last year, which means that other businesses now have the option to take over the name. That would be quite an embarrassment to say the least and also presents an opportunity to scammers. When a Washington DC corporation is revoked by the DCRA, its name is reserved and protected until December 31st of the year the corporation is revoked. After December 31st, other business entities may use the corporation's name, the DCRA explains on its website. Technically, the CCI could have started a new corporation under a different name, but this seems unlikely. Torrent Freak was able to confirm that at least one of the participants in the copyright alert system paid a substantial amount of money to the revoked company last year. 
As with any other company, CCI will be able to have its company status reinstated after fulfilling its obligations. A source connected to the Centre of Copyright Information informs Torrent Freak that the proper paperwork has been filed now. This most likely means that the DCRA will update the company's status in the near future. Finally, it will be interesting to see if this situation holds consequences for the anti-piracy warnings that are supposedly being sent out at the moment. The internet seems strangely devoid of US subscribers in receipt of any. Our next story comes from EFF.org, dated May the 14th, 2013, and is by Cindy Cohn and Trevor Tim. Disappointing unsealing decision in the Aaron Schwartz case. The public lost another battle in the US versus Aaron Schwartz case, this one over transparency. On May the 13th, 2013, the US District Court judge handing the prosecution sided with the government, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and JSTOR, and refused to make public any information in the case that any of these three entities wished to keep under seal. The ruling effectively grants the Department of Justice, MIT and JSTOR a veto over what the public gets to know about the investigation. The decision stems from the government's controversial prosecution of Aaron Swartz, the brilliant activist and internet pioneer who died in January. The government brought a myriad of charges against Swartz, most notably under the Draconian Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, CFAA. After his tragic death, there were widespread calls for an investigation into prosecutorial misconduct and reform of the CFAA, and in response, Swartz's lawyers have asked the court to unseal the vast majority of evidence in the case since all charges have been dismissed for months. The specific information at issue is identifying information for JSTOR, MIT and certain law enforcement personnel, along with any information identifying and sensitive network information. As Swartz's attorneys have noted, the proposed redactions include job titles and other information needed to understand who was talking to whom in the voluminous email traffic, and it's impossible to follow what happened in the course of the prosecution without it. This information is vital in understanding how involved MIT was in the prosecution and at what level in the institution when and how JSTOR was involved and whether the Justice Department's repeated public assertions that everything in the prosecution proceeded normally were accurate. To read the rest of this story, please follow the link in the show notes. Our next story comes from techdirt.com by Mike Masnick dated May the 14th, 2013. Interesting move. Peter Sunday of the Pirate Bay and Flatter to run for EU Parliament. The Pirate Party of Sweden famously got two MEPs elected to the European Parliament in its last election. And now, in an interesting move, Peter Sunday, probably best known as the former spokesman for the Pirate Bay, has announced that he'll be running for the European Parliament in Finland. He was apparently born in Sweden, but his ancestry is Finnish. After the Pirate Bay, which many people incorrectly assume is connected to the Pirate Party, Sunday went on to found Flutter, a system, which we use here, that helps content creators make money. I've discovered that people who have never met Peter tend to be very quick to jump to conclusions about him, almost always entirely incorrect. 
Amusingly, when I first met him a few years back in Berlin, he and I were sitting in the green room of a conference right before a panel that he was supposed to be on. All of the other panellists on his panel had entered the room and were discussing the panel across the room, without knowing that Peter was sitting right there talking to me. So they started talking about him, and someone explained that the pirates now hate Peter because he switched to the other side with Flatter. Of course, nothing is further from the truth. This was never about sides, but about reality. Peter has always been incredibly focused on recognising what reality is and trying to respond to reality, rather than making up artificial boundaries and pretending a fake world must exist where it does not. I'm not sure how well that will play in actual political situations, but it would be great to see what would happen. The one bit that surprises me, frankly, about the decision to do this via the Pirate Party is that in the past Peter has actually distanced himself from the Pirate Party, saying that he preferred other parties, such as the Swedish Green Party. Either way, in my limited experience with him, Peter has always been one of the most perceptive and thoughtful commenters on the state of technology and its impact on society and culture. I've come away from our conversations feeling like I understood a lot more about the world than when the talks first started. I recognise that for many who come with preconceived notions, it will be easy to dismiss him. But for those willing to take a chance and to see what he actually has to say, there is a tremendous value in hearing what he's got to say. In a political world, it would be great to see what he could accomplish. That said, there is the outstanding matter of the ruling against him, and the fact that he's been sentenced to jail, though it's still never been made clear when or how he will be expected to serve that sentence. I would imagine that somehow that issue will need to be clarified if his candidacy actually does get any real momentum. Our next story comes from allgov.com, dated May 15th, 2013, by Noel Brinkerhoff. Latest Middle East cyber attacks on the US corporations employ sabotage. Cyber attacks against American corporations have moved beyond attempts to steal data and now involve sabotaging computers that run important infrastructure operations. Energy companies have been the targets of the latest attacks, which the Department of Homeland Security say originated from somewhere in the Middle East. DHS officials would not say if the cyber attacks were the work of individuals or were state-sponsored. The New York Times reported that the attempts, which are ongoing, employ probes designed to figure out how to seize control of processing systems in order to interfere with energy production. A senior official told the newspaper that DHS is concerned about a repeat of what happened in Saudi Arabia last summer, when an Iranian-based cyber assault affected 30,000 computers at Saudi Aramco, one of the world's largest oil producers. That attack was similar to the American-Israeli operation that unleashed the Stuxnet worm on computers used in Iran's nuclear enrichment plants, which was intended to slow Tehran's goal of developing nuclear weapons. Our final story this week comes from TechDirt.com by Mike Masnick, dated May 15th, 2013. TV networks finally discover live streaming. Still get it really, really wrong. Over and over again, people have pointed out that one of the reasons people flock to unauthorised versions of content is that legitimate versions aren't available. For a decade or so, it's been odd that network TV has been generally resistant to embracing the internet. 
A big part of the reason, of course, is money-driven, since they make so much cash from cable deals, even if their content is free over the air. The fight with Aereo, of course, is not so much about copyright as it is about retransmission fees that the networks can get from cable. So it might seem like a bit of progress to see that the networks are finally moving towards live streaming of content. While many shows are now available online, they usually aren't available until hours or sometimes days or weeks after things air. And while, yes, we are now a DVR world where people don't always watch shows when they air, there is still a sizable population of fans of shows that like to watch them in real time. In fact, many have said that the supposedly evil internet is actually making them more interested in watching live because they can share the cultural experience more widely via things like Twitter and Facebook. So, recognising that reality, making it easier for people to view the content live at the same time, such as via online streaming, makes a lot of sense. Kudos to the networks for recognising that about a decade later than they should have. Disney's ABC network will become the first broadcast network to stream its shows live online through an ongoing service, starting with viewers of its TV stations in New York and Philadelphia on May the 14th and expanding to its other stations by the end of the summer. OK, that's the good part. But given who we're talking about, of course, there's a catch. There's always a catch. Starting July the 1st, Disney will only provide its Watch ABC service to subscribers of cable, satellite and other TV subscription services that have agreements with ABC to offer the service to their subscribers in New York and Philadelphia. Subscribers must provide an authentication code to be granted access to the shows. Later this summer, Disney said that it will expand use of its Watch ABC service to authenticated subscribers that receive its TV stations in Los Angeles, Chicago, San Francisco, Houston, Raleigh-Durham and Fresno, California. Remember, this is free, over-the-air network television that we're talking about here. But they're so frightened of pissing off the cable stroke satellite guys from whom they make boatloads of money that they won't offer the content to cord cutters, only to people who are already paying ridiculous sums for cable stroke satellite TV. Oh, and rather than make it work on any platform, it appears to be specific to certain devices. The app will initially allow users to be able to watch the service on Apple's iPad and iPhone and on the Kindle Fire device and later this summer on Samsung Galaxy devices. Oh, and they're not done with the bad ideas either. The report also claims that in the future, ABC will withhold its most recent TV episodes from the free versions of Hula and ABC.com, further limiting access to paying subscribers of cable and satellite providers only. Way to take a good idea, live streaming, and make it completely crappy and pointless again locking it to devices and existing overpriced pay TV offerings whilst taking away the value for everyone else and further fragmenting the space. Other headlines in the news this week that you can read by following the links in the show notes are Do not track. Are weak protections worse than none at all? The McCain cable bill can only do so much. Real change is market-driven. Jail terms for unlocking cell phones show the true black heart of the copyright monopoly. This production has been staffed and produced by the TGTM News Team. Editorial selection by Deep Geek 
and views of the story authors reflect their own opinions and not necessarily those of the TGTM News. News from techdirt.com, maggiemcneil.wordpress.com, havanatimes.org and allgov.com are used under arranged permission. News from torrentfreak.com and eff.org is used under permission of the Creative Commons by Attribution Licence. News from wlcentral.org is used under permission of the Creative Commons by Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Licence. News from rhrealitycheck.org is used under the terms published on their webpage. News sources retain their respective copyrights. Thank you very much for listening. Speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. Here are the vital statistics for this program. Your feedback matters to me. Please send your comments to dg at deepgeek.us. The webpage for this program is at www.talkgeektome.us. You can subscribe to me on Identica as the username DeepGeek, or you could follow me on Twitter. My username there is DGTGTM, as in Deep Geek Talk Geek to Me. This episode of Talk Geek to Me is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Like 3.0 Unpoured License. This license allows commercial reuse of the work, as well as allowing you to modify the work, so long as you share alike the same rights you have received under this license. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk Geek to Me. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 License.